Welcome to Name Drop San Diego. This is Abby Hamblin, and you'll be hearing my co-host Christy Totten on this podcast too. It's all about the interesting people from or living in San Diego. On this episode, we're excited to have an author. It's been a while since we've had one, and this author has an incredibly timely book out that you'll hear a reading from coming up. Marisa Reichart grew up in Scripps Ranch and moved to Coronado for middle and high school. She's an author of young adult contemporary novels and has three of them out, including her latest, which just came out in February. It's called A Shot at Normal, and it's unbelievably timely, as I said, as it focuses on vaccines and a young girl's push to be vaccinated despite her parents' wishes. It's such an interesting read, and it's another book in her lineup that shows that this is an author who is not afraid to tackle some of life's biggest questions. We talk about that and much more on this episode. Here's our interview with Marisa Reichardt. So first, we are doing this interview during the week of your latest book release. So congratulations. How's it feeling? Thank you. It's it's great. It's a little bittersweet. Um, I have to say I've, I've launched two books now during the pandemic uh, and... So it's two virtual book launches and it's, it's bittersweet because people from all over the country have been able to attend my book launches, my relatives in Louisiana, friends in Canada. And I also think that more people are doing that. People are looking for things to do and they're attending book launches. So that's been fun, but I really miss the in-person events and getting to personalize notes when signing books and hugging friends and all the things we're all missing. But it's been lovely. It's been a great week. You'll have to do a big party when we are able to do that again. We all have to have big parties when we're able to do it. (laughs) Honestly. Yes, definitely. Um, so the book is called A Shot at Normal. And um, just so we don't make a mistake of giving, we've, you know, we've been reading it, but just so we don't make the mistake of giving the spoilers, we wondered if you'd like to describe how you want listeners to um, hear what the book is about. Sure. So the book is called A Shot at Normal, and it's YA contemporary, young adult contemporary. And the story focuses around a 16-year-old Juniper Jade, who, after contracting the measles, sues her parents for the right to be vaccinated. Her parents are anti-vaxxers, so she's had no vaccinations, and this is now her mission. I don't know how much more you might want to know, so um, with the help of a boy that she meets that works at the library, who might be more than a friend, uh, she arms herself with an attorney and takes her parents to court. Yeah, I read in your author's note at the end of the book that this really was sort of um, inspired by the anti-vax movement and answering the question of, you know, what age should people be allowed to make their own medical decisions? Um, What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that we sell teenagers short on a lot of things and think that they're too young to be able to make decisions that about their own bodies and their own health. Uh, We sell women short of that. I think we have a problem with that in many areas of healthcare in our country. And so really, I feel like if I can be a voice in any way for teenagers who are sold short and don't have a voice, I'm here for that. I actually have met who I kind of like to think of as the real life Juniper Jade now, um, Kelly Daniel Poor. She lives in Santa Monica. She's a teenager. And she started a group called vaxteen.org. And you can go to her website now and you can check your state and you can see what the laws are there. And she is actively fighting to help teens navigate 
the legal ways to go around your parents and receive your vaccinations. That's amazing. And did you know about her before the book? I didn't. She's actually new. Um, I think she just started this in the last year and it was just this lovely little kismet where it's like, I just heard about your book. I just heard about your organization. And it just, she, she's awesome. I'm in such admiration of the work she's doing. And I just think teenagers in general, I think this generation is so engaged and so, um, you know, they have the resources with social media. And so they can really get the word out about their causes and their, what they're fighting for. But I am just endlessly, endlessly impressed with the work that teenagers are able to do. So we were hoping you could do a bit of a reading from the book for us. Is that okay? Absolutely. Um, So I'm going to go a little bit far and go into chapter 10, but I don't think it's much of a spoiler. As long as you've read the jacket copy, you kind of know this is coming. I skate for at least an hour to clear my head, then arrive at the urgent care clinic at five o'clock. The sign on the door tells me they're open for another few hours. That should be enough time. I pull the bottom of my shirt up to wipe the sweat from my forehead and go to the front desk, not exactly sure what to do. My insurance card is in my mom's wallet and I don't have any money. The door to the hallway where the nurse took my vitals a few weeks ago is over my left shoulder, but the L-shaped check-in counter has one half in the waiting room and one half in the hallway. I can see the shut doors of exam rooms inside the hallway, which means those rooms are full and I might have to wait a while. I need to talk to someone, I say. A guy looks up from his computer and pushes the clipboard on the counter toward me. Sign-in sheets right there. Can I get shots here? A flu shot? Shots, plural. All of them. He squints at me. What do you mean? Are you traveling out of the country? Nope, but I've never had any vaccinations and I want all of them. How do I do that? He looks at me like I'm kidding. I'm serious. He finally pulls away from his keyboard and really looks at me. Are you 18? I'm 16. Do you have a parent or guardian here with you? They'll say no. I need to take care of this by myself. He puts his elbows up on the desk, leans forward. No vaccinations ever. MMR, tetanus, chicken pox, none of them. He leans back in his chair, hands behind his head like a cradle. Wow, I'm a freak, an anomaly to someone in the medical field. Coming up on the right, Juniper Jade, nocturnal and not vaccinated. Don't feed the bears, don't vaccinate the children. I love that so much. It's so funny. And, um, one, you know, all of the shots. Like, one of the things that I loved about your writing is, like, you really um, – capture sort of the teenage angst well you know like I felt like a stubborn eye-rolling teen again like reading this how do you how do you tap into that um I live with a teenager (laughs) (laughs) a daily Uh, reminder yeah um I have a teenager in high school a senior in high school uh this was super fun a super fun experience because this is the first book that I wrote where I really had in-house teenager so she got to have some fun input I would ask her questions, you know, what would Juniper want to wear to a dance and stuff like that. Um, But I think overall, being a teenager hasn't changed exponentially from decade to decade. Like, I mean, I was just as angsty in the 80s as a teenager as my daughter is now. Uh, You know, yes, they have access to more things. Yes, they are exposed to more things. But just the overall feeling and the struggles and the emotions of it and the highs and the lows and the firsts, they really don't 
change that much as we move through the decades. So speaking of your teenage days, uh, the community you just, the community you described in the book, Playa Bonita, kind of reminded me of Ocean Beach or Coronado, um, especially because of the farmer's market in Ocean Beach. I was kind of picturing that. So is any of this inspired by your upbringing here in San Diego? Absolutely. I think all of my books, um, because I never want to name a specific place, I make places up and then just take bits and pieces of different places so I can throw them all in. I can throw a little of OB in with a little of Coronado, with a little of Scripps Ranch, um, and even the, you know, where I live here in Los Angeles. So it's definitely, I think that people can find um, what we call Easter eggs which is I can describe something. And if you've been there, you know what it is. And a lot of times something that's really special is that I get to talk about things in Coronado that don't exist anymore, but were there in the eighties. And so it's a way, it's like a nostalgic nod and it can also access, you know, when you're saying, how do you get into that mindset of a teenager? again, it's still universal. It's the same types of places that teens would go now, but by describing a place that I know and I remember being as a teenager, it's fun and easier to access. Yeah. Well, I know I like, I like um, recognizing those sort of when I'm reading them, but you, you mentioned, um, you know, being a teenager today is not all that different as in, insofar as like emotions and, you know, the way they were thinking and feeling about things, but like the things that kids deal with nowadays are so different. And I think that's reflected in your writing, right? Like this one is about anti-vaxxing or vaccinations. Uh, another one of your books is about natural disasters. Another one's about mental health. I definitely wasn't thinking about those things when I was that age, but I do think kids are thinking about that now. So yeah, um, how do you, how does that inform your writing? No, absolutely. I mean, to, to say that kids aren't dealing with heavier things, I think is not true. I think just the internet alone and what that offers, um, the things that can happen because of the internet, it, 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 I mean, it's just a whole different kind of world out there. My first book, Underwater, actually deals with the aftermath of a school shooting. That's not something I ever had to worry about or think about when I was a teenager. And this is daily life. And it was inspired well, it's not right now, <laughs> you know, while we're all not in, in school, but um, it was inspired because my fourth grader came home from school and told me about the lockdown drill that she had. And, you know, our kids are growing up in heavier times with lockdown drills. Yes, um, you know, I grew up, we still had earthquake drills. We were all afraid of the Cold War, um, you know, nuclear bomb was gonna drop on us in Coronado, but, um, I don't know. There's just, it, it, it never, it didn't happen. Whereas you're seeing we're doing drills for school shootings and they're happening. So how, you know, the, the chances are that it could happen anywhere and we've seen that it happens anywhere. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot heavier stuff that kids are dealing with these days. And I also think the pressure with college applications, uh, that's something I found to just be, as I said, I've got a senior in high school who's doing college apps. I wasn't this like stressed out about college applications and people weren't paying gobs and gobs of money for college counselors and, and hiring people to take SATs for their children. And, um, you know, these, the, the pressures I think are a lot greater now than they've been. 
Well, when I looked at what this book was going to be about, my jaw actually dropped because I was like, no way is this book about vaccines, which is the top story in the news every single day right now. And so I think a big question as you're probably getting this is, did you start writing it before the pandemic or during or how'd that go? I came up with the idea for this book in 2018 and I dropped it in 2019 we were, I turned in copy edits about two weeks after we went on lockdown in March of 2020. So copy edits are kind of like the last really, really big thing you do with the book. It's kind of like, we're done. Um, You do more editing in first pass, second pass, third pass pages after that, but it's tinkering. Um, Copy edits are kind of like the thing that you want to get to. And so the fact that I finished copy edits on this two weeks into lockdown is to say that that's surreal is selling it short. It's it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Did it give you any thoughts like, oh, I could have changed this or I should have changed oh. this? Honestly, reading it, I thought it was like so relevant. Like there wasn't even any, you know, it made me think so much of today, but. That's good to hear, but absolutely. Like I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, can, I wish I could go back in now knowing what I know now. I think there's some things that I would change, but I think that's true of any book. I could go back to Underwater and read it and wish that I had written a line different or find an echo that I wish I didn't have. Um, I, that's why I don't go back and read my books. And I don't really know any authors that do that. I think it's <laughs> like once it's gone and it's not yours anymore, it's out in the universe and it's for other people to consume and be able to um, love or hate. And it's time to step away and let your babies go. Well, I think it makes your point all the more relevant too, that it gives a second example. Not only do we have teenagers who may not be allowed to get the coronavirus vaccine when it's their turn, but you wrote at the end of the book about you know, you were thinking about this generation of kids, more non-vaccinated kids than ever, and what it would be like when they hit their teen years. I just think it's, um, to think that far ahead, that's just amazing. Do you, do you go, do you feel like you try and think forward in your books, like what's going to be happening in the future? Or do you kind of just have to go with whatever idea is planted for you? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I mean, I think, I, you know, I write books to try to answer questions. There's this idea that's out there like, oh, write what you know. I don't write what I know. I write what I want to know, um, what I want to try to figure out. And this was very much inspired by what does the future look like? Because I was seeing people on my Facebook feed that were not vaccinating their children. And I, was looking at my daughter who at the time was, you know, and like a ninth grader and thinking, wow, what would that look like now where I know how much she wants to be in school and having this experience and what happens when you make those choices for your children and it affects social things that they might be able to do in the future. I mean, it could be anything from sleepaway camp to going to public school. And I understand too that homeschooling, I'm not, you know, this book isn't about bashing homeschooling. I know lots of homeschoolers, it works great. It's a fantastic alternative and we're kind of all doing it right now and finding the benefits and the not benefits of it. Um, You know, there's no, there's nothing that I'm saying like, oh, this kind of schooling is better than that kind of schooling. But certainly, 
you know, the, the, it's typical to go to a four-year traditional school. And so I think that a lot of kids that don't get to experience that, I've spoken to kids that were homeschooled and that are adults now who feel like they missed out on things. So it was easy to imagine what that might look like. Yeah, that's a kind of another lucky coincidence, I guess, as more people understand now what the homeschooling part feels like, you know, whereas had the yeah. pandemic not happened. Right. Well, I wrote this whole thing that's, you know, sort of a love letter to the rites of passage of teenagerdom and these typical things going to Friday night football games, going to the prom, being in clubs. Juniper's like obsessed with eating in the cafeteria because she thinks that's where everything's happening. And and this boy in the book, Nico, keeps saying, like, I promise you this place is going to that place is going to let you down when you <laughs> finally get to go there. But it's so odd, uh, surreal to have written this thing from that point of view of thinking about what Juniper feels like she's missing. And now kids across the the country, kids across the nation, uh, the world are missing these very things that Juniper is talking about. So it's, I think it's become even more meaningful and more, uh, you know, easier for us to appreciate things that are typical that we've maybe taken for granted about just eating in the cafeteria with our friends. Mm -hmm. Well, now I definitely want to know what your next book is about because I feel like it's going to predict the future in some way. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm superstitious, so I don't really talk about um, what I'm working on, but I will say that it's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a departure and I'm excited about it. And I think that that's what keeps art interesting is I want to keep challenging myself in Uh, how I tell stories, execution, and who I tell stories about. And that's what keeps it exciting and makes me want to keep writing. Okay, can we do a lightning round with you just to get to know you a little better? We just have a few sort of quick questions in rapid succession. Sure. Um, So the first one is, where do you get your best writing done? Okay, so this, I love to write at coffee houses with my headphones, with my AirPods in, and I make a playlist for every book that I write. And it turn after enough times of listening to it, it turns on a part of my brain that knows, oh, it's time to write the, this book now, this story. We're here. I can't go to coffee houses and write right now. Uh, so I'm like, how can I make my house seem like a coffee house? You know, so do I get an espresso sheet machine? Do I play like indie alt music in the background? Um, so I feel like it's hurt my productivity a little bit, but I'm trying to work around it. That is where I prefer to work though. Do you share those playlists? That's so awesome. It's like your book has a soundtrack. I sometimes do, or I'll share some of the songs. Like some of it wouldn't make sense. Um, some of it is literally uh like I try to start out with slower songs and then they get faster and hopefully it's like it's like working out you know like running and you have the slower songs for your warm-up and then when you're really going you've got Lady Gaga playing um (laughs) so yeah it's a little bit like that it's it's like exercise and you're exercising your brain and and getting into that mode and you aren't it gets to the point where I'm not hearing the music but it's connected to what I'm doing 
So you're also a DJ. We didn't know that. But <laughs> so it's more like motivational music than like the soundtrack of the book, because this is really embarrassing. But I read a fan fiction once and the author would put out playlists and say, listen to this while you read. And it was so dramatic because of that. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I would that actually fascinates me and makes me want to try to do that sometime. But um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some songs that are very specific. But overall, yeah, motivational is a good way to look at it. And I try to put a lot of contemporary, like, you know, there's like a lot of Harry Styles and a lot of like modern, you know, contemporary stuff that people are listening to, to also put me in that space of writing about teenagers. If there was one song that sort of thematically captured A Shot at Normal, what would it be? Oh, um, I've been doing the... um this is my fight song that was was kind of my um that was my theme song for the book and when i really needed my motivation i would put that song on because the nice thing about having playlists is that when you are stuck and you're or you're driving in the car but then you want to think about writing like i can put the playlist on anywhere i can go walk by the beach and still put the playlist on and it's enough to just at least trigger the ideas um so I mean, yeah, it's just something that I found that really, really works for me. It's part of my method, um, but I, I think it's helpful. And, and other people who found out that I do that have tried it and have found it to be a great tool. So try it, anyone who wants to write it. I love this so much. Yeah, I love it. It's so cool to think about music really inspiring writing. I love that. Um, so this kind of gets to our next, we kind of slow down from the lightning aspect, but the next question is, do you have writing superstitions or habits or comforts? Like, like got to wear the same socks three days in a row. Cause I wrote a lot of pages. <laughs> um, too, not too much. My husband is a water polo coach and he's far more superstitious. Like, uh, you know, during CIF season, he, you know, I'm washing the same outfit every day. Cause he's got to wear the same thing for every game. So when it comes to superstitions, he definitely has me beat. I have written my books primarily at three different coffee houses. So it's like, oh, you know, I, I associate the coffee houses with whichever book it was. And I have found sometimes when I try to go to a coffee house where I wrote a different book, it feels off. Like, so, so I think that there's superstitions about that. But I'm not, and the only other superstition I really have is to just not really talk about my ideas until they're fully formed. Preferably done, written, edited, and sold, but (laughs) can't always work that way. (laughs) What is the best thing you've read recently? I loved The Lightness of Hands by Jeff Garvin. He's fantastic. It's about um, a girl who has bipolar disorder and she goes on like a cross-country road trip with her dad who is a former magician who had a failed fantastic magical act that was like very publicly seen um and so she's kind of trying to work to get him back to have a great magical act in las vegas i also really love the voting booth by brandy colbert which is so it's about an 18 year old girl who is the first time she's been old enough to vote and it takes place over just the course of one day of the election day and sort of some of the 
hurdles that she comes up against that day. And it's so just, uh, it flows in a way that like, I would, I, I read that and it makes me want to be a better writer. It's just lovely. And I would really like to think that her main character, Marva and Juniper would hang out together because I think they could do amazing things together. Um, so those are two that really stand out to me. And I've gotten to read some advanced copies of some really cool books that are coming out. Um, Lori Elizabeth Flynn, who has written a lot of YA, has an adult book coming out called uh, The Girls Are All So Nice Here. I think it's gonna be pretty big, a thriller um, about some girls that go back to their college reunion and some secrets come out. Um, so that's a fun one. I love reading books by YA authors who have made the jump to adult. It's always fun to see. I think it's such a fun idea what you just said, having like your character be friends with a character from another book. I know that like, does that ever happen? Like do authors ever talk to each other and like, hey, put my character in your book and make them <laughs> friends? I wish. I know authors do things like uh, Twitter contests and stuff where you can win and have your name in a book as a character and things like that. It's always kind of fun. That would be so cool if there was a YA multiverse where all the characters like somehow ended up in each other's stories. I would love that. Um, okay. Do you have a genre that you do not like to read? Not really. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm open to everything because I think that there's inspiration and things to be learned from every genre. Like, I, I mean, I maybe not sci-fi is probably not totally my thing, which makes sense because I write YA contemporary um, or I write contemporary. And so that's about as opposite as you can get. But then I, you could say that about fantasy too. And I love to read fantasy and I have loved some sci-fi books. So, so no, nothing's off the table. Since you're such a coffee house fan, what's your favorite coffee shop in San Diego? We were going to ask restaurant, but I think coffee is a better one for you. Oh my gosh. So I'm super sad it's gone. The Cafe 1134 in Coronado. They just closed down last year, I think. And that was my place that I would that I would always go. I never got to go, but it sounds Aww, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Here's our last one. Do you have a favorite time of day to write? Morning. Morning, morning, morning. And I don't always get to do that because, you know, there's other things that you have to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's actually really cool if I can get up super early and start writing at like five or six before everyone else is up and I can just have the house nice and quiet and all to myself. And I don't have to worry like, oh, I'm in somebody's way that's on zoom for, uh, astrophysics right now, or <laughs> my husband's a teacher too. So he's teaching zooms and uh, I'm the one, I think my space has been disrupted the most by everyone having to go to school online because I used to have the house to myself in the day. Um, so yeah, morning. We have a question for you that we read about on your Twitter. Abby actually showed it to me. Abby, I think you should ask. Okay. It's really loud here with construction at my apartment. So I apologize if it, a loud bang happens, but you too. I can't hear it, but you know, what's funny is we have construction going on next door to me. And about five minutes before we got on, the gardeners came with the leaf blowers and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. The leaf blowers. Oh, 
They're just <laughs> who knew how loud they were until we all started working. A siren's out. gonna start going soon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we your tweet it got a ton of response about your husband and how. Uh, why don't you just tell the story? It is insane. Like what a coincidence or just a twist of fate. Yeah. Uh, I've never had that happen with a tweet before, but basically, I guess that's going viral. How many retweets do you have to get or likes to be viral? Um, but I think we're at like 86,000 or something right now. Um, but the story is that my dad died when I was nine years old um, from cancer. And I always was sad that he would never meet my future husband. And when about four years ago, I learned the story of the time that my parents went home to visit my mom's parents in Coronado and met the baby of the neighbors. And it turns out that baby was my husband. And so my dad met my husband four years before I was born. How did you even find that out? Like, how did that come up? Yeah, because my mom, my, my mother-in-law gave my husband a box of keepsakes and there were a bunch of cards in there for like his first birthday. And I recognized the address as being one even number off from my grandparents' address. And so I asked my mom about it and both my mom and my husband's mom remembered this encounter. That is so incredible. Yeah. Um. I know we are talking, we want to talk about your latest book a lot, but I just want to really quick ask a question about your last book, which is called Aftershocks. And it's about a, uh, I think it's a 7.8 earthquake. Yeah, the big one. Yeah, the big one. I just wondered why you even approach that subject because I, I'm not a, a, a native of California, but I do worry about that often. And so it was stressful reading that book, but I did love it because it was through the eyes of a teenager and you got to see, you know, my head was thinking, what would I do? Like, how should I prepare? So just a huge, interesting subject to take on. I wondered what led to that. Yeah, so Aftershocks is about um, the big one hitting California and my main, main character, Ruby, ends up trapped in the rubble of a laundromat um, right, after it, it, right after meeting this boy, Charlie, who they can hear each other, but they can't see each other and they can't touch each other. And they're both buried in this rubble together and get through the experience with remembering their past and you know talking about their hopes for the future. But I think that in that same way that I was saying, I, I don't write what I know, I write what I want to know. Um, of course, I'm a, I'm a SoCal native. I've grown up here my whole life and I'm terrified of earthquakes. But we also have this way of, of, of not thinking about them, right? Um, we, we live here and we try not to think about them because that would make us all absolutely miserable if we thought about it all the time. So I had other books that like haven't been published, my practice books that are in the drawer that no one will ever see. And they all ended up having like a little earthquake, a little trembler. So I think it was just something that I was fascinated with and wanted to do something with. And then it became, well, what if that's the whole book? And, and that's how it happened. How did you get into writing? I have never not been a writer. Um, even even when I even when I didn't realize I was a writer, other people around me realized I was a writer. Um, so I had really fantastic teachers at Coronado High School who were extraordinarily 
supportive. And I had a ninth grade teacher, English teacher, Bobby Booth, who pulled me aside in ninth grade and said, I don't care what you do next year, but you need to be in journalism class. Like you need to be writing. And we didn't have creative writing at the high school. So I got into writing for the school newspaper. And I think that kind of saved me in high school. I didn't love high school. I didn't love any class except for English and journalism uh, and working on the school paper. So I just had this a tremendous support system. And then by the time I was a senior, it was like a given, like, of course, you're going to go and major in creative writing. So it's just always been there. I spent a lot of time writing things that weren't novels. Um, I went to grad school for screenwriting and I wrote poetry and I wrote academic writing for USC. And I, I the idea of novel writing felt huge and big and hard to me. <laughs> and um, I, when I finally sat down and did it, I was like, oh yeah, this is the kind of writing I'm supposed to be doing. How did you choose YA? I've never, I've yet to come up with a story that, a story idea that wasn't about teenagers. So once I come up with that, maybe I won't write YA, but right now that's where the ideas are. And I think I'm still 17 years old in my head a lot of the time. I think a lot of us are. I think there's a like a country song that's something like you're always 17 in your home hometown, which is exactly how I feel every time I go to Coronado. I, I remember I put a post up one time that I was waiting outside of the pool for my mom to keep, come pick me up, just like I was, you know, finishing swim practice my senior year or something. But yeah, I just, I, I, I can't not write stories about teenagers. That's where my ideas always come from. And I think too, like the things I want to tackle become more interesting from that perspective. I mean, it's much more interesting to talk about a 16 year old daughter of anti-vaxxers than anti-vaxxers who <laughs> didn't vaccinate their kids. You know, the, the, the interesting story there is Juniper's, not her parents. Well, speaking of 17, I always want to ask this question to people who grew up in Coronado. And you said it's changed a lot, but was it like as idyllic as I imagined? Because I feel like it's out of a movie. Every time I see teenagers over there, I'm like, your life must be <laughs> amazing. Um, it was pretty awesome. But, you know, my mom also grew up in Coronado and went to Coronado High School. So she, to her, she couldn't believe what Coronado already was in the 80s, how different it was for her from the 60s. And now it feels unrecognizable to me too. When I was there, it was so much more of a Navy town, so much more of a military town. I think that has changed a little bit and they've definitely gussied it up a lot, but but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome to have that be home. Do you still get back there a lot or often? I do. I, my mom's still there. So I, I do get back and there's that, that feeling when you drive over the bridge that never goes away. Like you reach the middle of the bridge and you see the Dell on your left and you see uh, the boats on your right and Coronado out in front of you. And it just like your whole body kind of decompresses and that feeling never, ever, ever has gone away for me. I, I love that moment when I see that driving over the Coronado Bridge. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Name Drop San Diego. This is the part of the episode where we beg you to give us a review on your podcast app. 
Just kidding, you don't have to do that, obviously, but we appreciate any support. So thank you to all our listeners and thanks to everyone who has left reviews so far. We want to shout out all our recent followers on social media because our accounts are really growing and that's super exciting. So thanks for the support there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Name Drop San Diego. So go check us out there if you want to hear more about the show and upcoming guests. Thank you, Marisa. Thank you, San Diego. Adios.